start with an infant world and an open sky on a perfect day. Breath from the mouth of God sends a quiver through His design of clay, and it is good. And it is good. story again Wake to a girl beside Here's a hand to hold and never go away Now taste the forbidden fruit Make your poor excuse and feel the wall of shame and run and hide and run realize it or not, we desperately need you to tell us the story again. For we are a people who forget. And I pray that as we spend time, this remaining time together, that you would use these words to tell us the story again. For it doesn't matter where we find ourselves today, whether we are in a place of comfort, whether we're in a place of confusion, whether we're in a place of conflict, if we're in a place of chaos, 
We need your story to break through. It is the only answer. It is the only anchor for our restless heart. Pray that you would hide me in the cleft of the rock, that burning coals would touch my lips, that you and you alone would speak. You would prevent words from coming out of my mouth that are mine and not yours. And you would bring to my remembrance things that you hadn't told me ahead of time to say, but you want said today. For your glory, which is our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when my children were small, and I have four, they range from 13 to 22, when they were small, they would love to listen, read, watch the same story over and over and over. Anybody experience that? Nieces, nephews, if you haven't had children. And they would, especially my son, was so, um, so repetitive and also very bright, he could memorize it was amazing what he could memorize. I mean, it, it truly blew me away. And so I would try to give him new stories because those stories were getting really annoying, you know? And so I tried to give him new stories and, I, and realizing how, how, how apt he was at memorization, I thought, you know, I'm gonna try to slip some of those silly stories that can be sweet out of his little library and I'm gonna start putting in ones that have, you know, manners, that'd be good. And um, how, to, how to love your little sister, baby sister, you know, that'd be a good story. And, you know, and especially scriptural truths. You know, I knew that this world was gonna vie for his heart. And I thought, you know, here's this great opportunity. Here's a little memorizer. Let's give him things to memorize that will anchor his little soul as he becomes older. It was interesting. Um, as I tried to do this, a lot of times it didn't work. But when it did work, it was interesting how quickly he did memorize. And he moved from poo in the blistery day, blustery day, which, by the way, I would walk into his bedroom and I would watch him marching and saying every single word to poo in the blustery day. But we were successful in getting that memorization pointed in some other directions. And when he was small, we, were, we memorized with him Psalm 1, Psalm 23, and John 14. And for different reasons in different parts of his life. And it's interesting now as a 22-year-old, if we're ever sitting in a message and somebody starts to quote out of one of those, we can look at each other and we can finish it. And as a 22-year-old, these have become anchors for his soul. I realize that as an adult, I am not that different. How about you? As you shared in your groups, these stories that you like to read, watch, listen to over and over again, there are certain stories I never get tired of. Um, in fact, I can read them, watch them, listen to them over and over again, you know, ad nauseum for my husband, because they usually have a little Jane Eyre-ish, or Jane Austen-ish flair to them. And he's really weary of living with all girls now and coming in on a Friday night after work and seeing us all crying to Jane Austen. He's like, whatever happened to the war movies? Well, your son moved to Washington, D.C., so you don't get war movies anymore. <laughs> and I realized that I can finish lines from stories, from movies, with just a simple cue. In fact, Linda and I will do this in the office sometimes. We'll, we'll think of a phrase from a movie or a story when something's going on in the office. It's amazing how well we memorize. And, and as I wonder, as God looks at what I'm drawn to, the stories I like and the things that I've memorized, I wonder... Are there other stories he wants to put before me? Are there stories he wants to pull out of my library and stack some other ones instead? In these past couple of months, as I read over the passages we're about to study, 
I know the answer is absolutely yes. There is a story God continually put before me as I looked over the thousand years of history that we're going to study together. And interestingly, and not surprisingly, it's the story that he's put in front of me all the time. He's tried to get me to read, to memorize, to meditate on since the very day I came to him in faith. It didn't matter whether I was in a season of comfort, or if I was in a season of conflict, or if I was in a season of confusion, or utter chaos when the bottom of my life fell out, fell, fell, I needed to hear the story again. Because no matter what season I'm in, I have found that my heart is restless, and it needs an anchor. Have you found that out? Have you lived long enough to recognize that it doesn't matter whether you're in a place of relative comfort and blessing, as we, as we define them, or whether you're in a place of confusion, or whether you're in a place of conflict, or whether you're in a place of, place of chaos and suffering, that your heart is restless. I need the story of creation, fall, redemption. I need it put before me today every bit as much as yesterday and the day before. This is the story that is depicted on the Sistine Chapel that we just saw. This is the story that Chris Rice is saying and is, is proclaiming in that song, creation, breath from the mouth of God, sends a quiver through his design of clay, and it is good. He is our creator. Fall, now taste the forbidden fruit. Make your poor excuse and fill the wall of shame and run and hide, run and hide. Do you need to be reminded? I do. And redemption. Child, in a manger lay, see the virgin smile, though she understood. Now grow up and break your bread. Pour your cup of wine on a cross of wood. A cross of wood. Redemption. In our journey through this study of the prophets, this thousand years I talked about, we're going to get to watch generation after generation of our ancestors and their restlessness, no matter what circumstance they're in. We're going to see them in times of comfort. We're going to see them in times of conflict. We're going to see them in times of confusion. And we're certainly going to see them in times of captivity, chaos, suffering. And we're going to see that every time God raised up a prophet, one who would bubble up to tell them the story again, to remind them that in whatever season they're in, whatever circumstance they're in, their heart is restless. And the forbidden fruit is right there, lying. And if they take it, they will experience shame. Because he is their creator, and he alone knows how to anchor their soul. And yet we will also see that when they do listen to other stories, God offers redemption that points to the redemption that will come in his son. I need to hear the story. Do you need to hear the story? I believe you do, even if today you're sitting here and you think you don't. In fact, if you think you don't, you probably need to hear it the most. Because when you're in a time of comfort, you are very vulnerable. When you are in a place where you think you don't need the story, the fruit's right there. Because that's our origin. That's, our, that's the beginning of our story, which is Eve. She's in the most comfortable place possible, paradise. It was not 35 degrees in paradise in the morning. It was beautiful. She didn't have to worry about a government turning on her heat. <laughs> She was in perfection, and she was created in the image of God, and she had perfect 
intimacy with him. And in comfort, she listened to a different story. She didn't think she needed to hear it again, maybe. I don't know what was going on in her head. That's a conversation maybe we'll get to have someday. But in that place of absolute comfort and paradise, her heart was restless. And she looked to a different story and gave birth to distrust that God was enough for her. This distrust gave birth to disobedience, which is the fall. Disobedience brought, back, brought forth restlessness, running, shame. God graciously sought her out, though. And through the sacrifice of an animal, the shedding of blood, he covered her nakedness, she and Adam, because only he could, and because he desperately wanted to, he was relentless in his pursuit of them and his love for them, that their hearts might rest. Only in accepting God's covering would she find rest for her restless heart. And in the first book, eight books of the Bible, we just see this repeat. We see Eve's and Adam's just continually doing the same thing. God has them in a place of comfort, and they grab, and they listen to a different story. They think they don't need to hear it again. And they take that forbidden fruit, make their poor excuse, and they run, and they hide, and shame, and God relentlessly pursues them. And that's what we see in the first eight books of the Bible, generation after generation. But even when God himself says that his people are exceedingly wicked, we see in the book of Genesis, he refused to end the story and start over. Why he didn't bend down, pick up a new piece of dust and say, I'm starting over. But he didn't. And through floods and famines and slavery, he continued to offer forgiveness, sacrifices to cover them, to bring their hearts back to their only place of rest, which is him. And our study that we're going to begin this week begins in the time of the prophets. It was a time of relative comfort. The people looked around with distress, though. The reason they were in a relative place of comfort was because God had called them out to be a nation, and he was their king. They didn't have an earthly ruler. And his law was their guide, and so they had peace. He knows social order. He is the creator of the human heart. And so they're in a place of relative peace and comfort and blessing, and yet they're looking around because they're not like the other nations. And so they demand a king. And God often, and this is very scary, gives us what we demand so that we might see how very restless our heart is. They refuse to listen to the warnings of what a human king, how a human king would enslave them, and how only God could keep their heart free. And so he let them have their king. And in his relentless love, he raised up prophets during the time of the kings to keep coming in. And whether they were in comfort, which also eventually there was conflict and confusion and captivity, he continued to raise up his prophets in his relentless love for his people to bubble up. It means to bubble up, God's, to have God's voice and to bubble up, to tell the story again so that they could find rest continually telling them the story of their creation and fall and what they're forsaking by listening to other stories. Jeremiah, one of the prophets we'll be looking at, says this about us when we listen to the other nations and we forsake who has created us and what we are created for. He says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, their creator who knows what they need, 
and hewed out cisterns for themselves, looking to kings and other things to meet their needs. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Is Israel a slave? Is he a homeborn servant? I called you out to be my people to be free. God has placed, has brought you to faith to be free. And he raised up his prophets in Israel, and he's raising up, speaking through his word to us today, that he wants us free, our hearts rested. When God is our king, when his law is our law, we are tend to think that we're okay, but we're not an island. And just like Israel, there are people all around us living very differently than we live. And if we don't tell ourselves the story every day, all day long, we will begin to listen to a different story. And in our place of comfort, we will taste the forbidden fruit and we will experience those consequences. We will demand kings. We will demand to be ruled by the laws of this culture rather than God's. And we will find our hearts increasingly restless. We are not immune to the nations around us, the people around us. In fact, we're actually supposed to be a light to them. Sadly, they often end up being the light to us. And it's often because we think we got it all down. We think we're all that in a bag of chips. We've got the story down, and we don't need to hear it again. It troubles me when I hear women say, um, I'm taking a break from Bible study. I just need a little break. Now I realize I'm kind of preaching to the choir right now. Now, Understand me, you can cheat on sister to sister anytime you want. I mean, God calls you a different Bible study, different community of women tearing apart his word. You go where God leads you. But don't you ever, I'm talking to myself, you know, one finger forward, three back. Don't ever take a break from being in God's word with God's people. Sunday morning's not enough. That's not tearing apart God's word and letting him speak to you on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. You cannot live. You would not eat one meal a, a week and think you were fine. Would you? We can never take a break from the story. And often it's in times of comfort that we think we can. We need it every day. It's interesting that I had set aside time during the break. I wanted to spend hours in, in, because it's a lot of history to read. You're not going to be reading all of it, but I wanted to read all of it. And I kept trying to put these hours aside, and it was amazing how the things of the nations kept crowding that time. And when that time would get crowded, I was so surprised that my heart was so restless. I shouldn't have been. And then it was also interesting to me, and why after all these years it would surprise me, that when I did get that time, how the rest came. Are you in a time of comfort, ladies? You need to hear the story again. You need to have it bubble up. As we will see in our study, God sent his prophets in times of comfort, but he also sent them in times of conflict. It's interesting to me, I've had so much experience with this, I guess I'm a conflict creator, but I have realized that when I am in conflict with myself, which is every day, all day long, and when I'm in conflict with other people, which is far too often, I see how restless my heart is. Ladies, I'm learning that conflict is evidencing where I'm resting my heart. If my heart is rested in my God, then I'm not afraid of conflict. I will deal with the conflict in my own heart because I recognize who the creator is and that he is speaking to me. I will realize fall in my own sinful nature and I'll run to his presence and I'll realize forgiveness is there. When I'm in conflict with you, when I'm in conflict in my family, when I'm in conflict at work with coworkers, that conflict is an opportunity to hear the story again. 
Will I trust God, my creator, to resolve it if I follow and obey him alone? Or or am I going to take it for myself and demand my rights and make sure I'm heard? See, how I handle conflict evidences my understanding of creation, fall, and redemption. It also will evidence how gracious I am to you. Do I treat you as if God is your creator? Do I give you that dignity? Do I recognize that you're sinful too and that you need redemption? Will I be an instrument of that redemption? Will I offer forgiveness? Will I seek forgiveness? Oh my goodness, in times of conflict, we have to hear the story again. Or we will be prideful, we will demand our rights, or we will become martyrs, or we will do all kinds of crazy, psycho things. We need the story. We need to know our, who our Creator is, and that He has our back. Then we can cast our anxieties upon Him, because we know He cares for us. And we need to know our fall. We need to recognize that in every conflict, we have a part in it. Almost every time. We have a part in it. And that it's not our job to change that person, but to humbly submit that part to God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then we need to remember what we've been forgiven of. How dare we withhold forgiveness from anyone? Blessed are the peacemakers. They get the gospel. Whether we're having, if we're having conflict in our marriage, ladies, I love what um, the book Sacred Marriage has to say about marriage uh, by Gary Thomas. He says, marriage is a full-length mirror. Guess what? When you get married, you get to see all your sin right in front of you every day, all day long. And yet we spend all our time, if you're married, ladies, I know you're going to agree with me, we spend all our time picking on their mirror. And that is not what God has called. Conflict within marriage is for you to see your own sin to be redeemed, to be changed, to be sanctified so that he is one, even if he's disobedient to the word, by your change, not by you pointing out where he needs to change. Same with children. Everyone always talks about how awful it is to have teenagers. I love teenagers. Why do I love teenagers? Because there's conflict. But that conflict evidences my idols, achievement. I need my kids to be grateful. I need them to accomplish a lot. I need them to be sweet and kind. No, those are my idols. I want ease. I don't want you to bring conflict into my house, you teenager, because I want an easy day. I mean, if we're honest, part of our issues with teenagers is our own idols of comfort and esteem and achievement and gratitude. Bring it on, Lord. I need to see those and crush them. I used to to think of myself as not as an angry person until I had the fourth child. And I was so tempted to think it was the fourth child, and it's not her. The anger was always there. It's that fourth child that created enough of a mix for it to show. Nobody is causing you to be angry. No one is causing conflict in your life. You are allowing it to become conflict because you have idols of comfort, of ease. At the core of anger is, is, is pride, comfort, ease. The ideal life that I deserve. All counseling I have ever received that has brought forth fruit, and I believe any counseling that I've ever given that has brought forth fruit, is the story. Creation, fall, redemption. You are created, and he knows, your, he knows what you need, and he's got your back, and he's sovereign over all things. You are part of the fall. You have a sinful nature, and you are an instrument of redemption. The redemption he's given you, you need to get out now extend Are you in a time of conflict? You need to hear the story again. Have it bubble up from God's word. 
God sent in times of conflict his prophets. And in our conflict, he is wanting to speak to us through the prophets. But also in times of confusion, a lot of us are maybe in a place of confusion right now. We're unclear about the purposes of our life, where our life is going. We're unclear about our identity, our source of significance. Our hearts are restless. Maybe we've just become a stay-at-home mom, or maybe we've just launched a bunch of kids, or maybe we're in the middle of a career change, or we've lost a career, and we're wondering. We've lost a place in, in the community of God. God's called us out of a church. We don't know where we are. We're confused. We don't know where our life is going. We see that our hearts are restless. Our need for identity, our need for significance are God-given. They are not evil. They've been given to us by our Creator, It's the fall that makes them evil because we look to other things, other stories to give us our identity, to give us our significance instead of the Lord God. If we let God tell us the story again that he is our creator, we will find rest for our hearts in our identity in him. No title, no situation can bring you significance or identity. It happened when he breathed breath into you. And if we don't hear the story again, we will find that we'll look to other things and other people to define us and to give us our significance. Tim Keller puts it this way, individually we will ultimately look either to God or to success, romance, family status, popularity, beauty, or something else to make us feel personally significant and secure and to guide our choices. Culturally, We will ultimately look either to God or to the free market, the state, the elites, the will of the people, science, technology, military might, human reason, racial pride, or something else to make us corporately significant and secure and to guide our choices. It's interesting. That was what Israel did. It is these choices that lead to shame. They lead to running. They lead to hiding. We forget who our creator is, what we've been created for, and we live out the fall. Ladies, you've been created to be free in the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you exchange that for anything created, you will live, you are living the fall. You're living shame. You're living hiding. We've been created to worship something. Because of how we are created, we cannot eliminate the reality that we're created to worship, we're created to serve. And if it is not the living God, it will be someone or something. See, sin isn't breaking rules. It's breaking relationship with the one who made us. Sin is not only a violation of law, it's a violation of love. And I think this is where we miss it. We feel like if we didn't break break one of the ten in a big way today, we did fine. But if we weren't in fellowship with our Father, we weren't fine. Because we have a million little things we're bowing down to in our heart all day long. We've broken that relationship, and pretty soon we will break the ten in very big ways. That's why I am the Lord your God, you'll have no other gods before me, is number one. Because if we don't keep number one, we break all other nine. We will see in our study that God raised up prophets to remind his people in times of confusion their story. They're created for him. They're restless from the fall. 
The prophets will remind us that when we look to anything other than God for security or significance, we are forgetting creation. We're reliving the fall, and we're also forsaking redemption. We're running and we're hiding. It's interesting in the story it, we're going to be seeing in the true historical accounts, there were so many times when Israel would serve God and idols. Very fascinating. We feared God, but they served the idols. And then they wondered why their hearts were so restless. Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love. God doesn't share his glory. In a time of confusion, then you need to hear the story again. Have it bubble up from God's word. We will also see in our story, in our study of the prophets, that God sent his prophets to tell the story again in times of chaos. When the bottom of life fell out. Hurt, isolation, stuck, suffering. Our hearts are restless. We often don't need to be reminded of this. Some of us do run to God in times of chaos and pain and suffering, but many of us don't. When the bottom of our life falls out, it exposes our gods of health and wealth and achievement and relationships and human love. When the bottom falls out of our life, our theology, what we believe about God or gods, becomes our biography. We're living it out. And even if we can't see it, guess what? When the bottom falls out of your life, everybody else can. It's very clear. So if you're not sure, just ask a trusted friend. Now that I'm in this place of suffering, what are my idols? When Aubrey was diagnosed, my 19-year-old was diagnosed with, with uh, to be... Um, she was about five months old. She was, when she was diagnosed that she was going to have severe special needs, be mentally retarded. God exposed a lot of idols. Intelligence being one. Productivity. Beauty. Esteem. Achievement. And they keep coming. That's the story I need to remember from my life, is how God has used Aubrey to crush idols. That may not be the story I want to go over and over a million times, but it's the story I need to go over so that when the bottom falls out of my life again and he exposes more idols, I give them over because I am so glad to be freed of those. Martin Luther says a God means that from which we are to expect all good and to, from that to which we take refuge in all distress. You want to know what your God is? It may not be something wooden or plastic that you bow down to four times a day, but it is whatever you're looking to for good. It could be people. It could be health. It could be money. It could be status. It could be achievement. It could be anything. What are you looking to for good? And what are you taking refuge in in distress? When things go wrong, where do you run? That's your God. And sadly, we churn them out faster than we destroy them. John Calvin said, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. When the bottom falls out, if we don't know our story, we will not trust God's favor, grace, and goodwill toward us. We will look to other things, other people, ourselves, for good and for refuge in distress. And let me tell you, you will, you will hurt your own self. Your gods are violent when bottom of your life falls out. They cannot deliver. They are powerless. 
And sadly, what we do is then we get mad at God instead of the idols that we've created. When there's a diagnosis, when there's a divorce, when there's a disability, when there's a financial devastation, what are we looking to for what is good and where are we going in distress? Jeremiah tell, will remind us they are, they are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Only God can bring rest to the broken heart. Only he is near to the broken heart and the crushed in spirit. Habakkuk says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on my high places. What we don't understand, what is happening around us, we cannot make sense of our circumstances. We are tempted to forget God's goodness and ultimate control. We then trust our limited view rather than his panoramic view. There's so many great pictures in the scriptures that we're going to see. One is when the people are taken captive and, 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 and a part of them is deported. And the ones that are deported, you would think they think they're in trouble. And the ones that got to stay, you'd think they think they are doing great. Well, God gives a vision to Jeremiah and he says, no, my people who've been deported, they're the good figs. And my people that, are, that have gotten to stay in Judah, they're the bad figs. Sometimes when we're in captivity, sometimes when we're in chaos, sometimes when the bottom falls out of our life, we think we're being punished. And in reality, we're being set aside to see how good our God is, to find rest for our souls. We can't interpret our captivities well. We have to trust our Creator to know why we are where we are and look to Him alone rather than our own human reason to try to figure out our situation. Martin Luther says it this way, See to it that you let me alone be your God and never seek another. Whatever you lack of good things, expect it of me and look to me for it. And whenever you suffer misfortune and distress, creep and cling to me. I, yes, I will give you enough and help you out of every need. Only let not your heart cleave to or rest in another. Whatever part of our heart we reserve for the other gods will remain restless and devastated. Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Now, some of you might be saying, yeah, but the chaos I'm in right now is my own making. I made some sinful choices and I am living in a chaos now. I am living in consequences of sin. Is there hope? Yes, the prophets spoke a lot about this. They broke into the lives of sinful people who were in a mess from their own decisions. And he says, you need to hear the story again. Yes, you're created. Yes, you're experiencing the fall. But guess what? Your God is relentless for your redemption. You've been taken captive. You're experiencing the consequences of your sin so that you can recognize who your creator is, that you can be aware of your own restless heart, and that you could be covered by me. Don't run and hide in your shame. Come to me and let me cover you. And God offers it again and again and again. He wants us to see the one who is jealous for our hearts, not jealous of them, big difference, jealous for them, ready to cover us. Because he's jealous for our rest in him. Micah 7.8 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Are you in a time of chaos? Is the bottom of life 
fallen out, either because of things that have been thrust upon you or because of your own choices. You need to hear the story again. There is rest. There is hope. There is peace. Nothing is too hard for our God. He is your creator. He has your back. He understands the fall. He understands your sinful, restless heart. And he's waiting as you come in repentance to cover it. As we will see in our study of the prophets, there is not a circumstance to which we can forget the story. I've only said some of them, but they cover everything. I could come up with a bunch more C's and we could be here for a few more hours, but we won't. We will wrap up. Every circumstance of our life is intended to tell us the story. The circumstance you are in today is telling you the story. God is wanting to speak into it through his prophets. Take you back to the story. Whether you're in comfort or conflict or confusion or chaos, we can never forget how restless our hearts are and how bad they need to find their home in him. And let me tell you, ladies, this is the really cool part. If you're a visual learner, this is the study for you. Like, okay, I just have trouble with just, you know, I always start reading through the Bible, I get to Leviticus, and I just have to stop, you know. If you're a visual learner, this is really cool. At the expense of his prophets, we will get to see creation, fall, redemption. Because these very prophets we're going to study were called upon by God and sustained by God to live in their lives the story. They had to illustrate with their very lives what God was trying to tell Israel. God is so relentless to tell us the story that he raised up men, spoke through them, sustained them, and asked them to do very difficult, painful, deadly things to tell us the story of creation, fall, redemption. We'll see one who's call, who calls down fire from heaven and raises people from the dead. We will meet one who, will, who wanders naked for three years for Israel to see her shame. One who weeps perpetually and is put in jail. One who is killed one who is married and called to stay married to a perpetual adulterer just for God's people to see their sin. One who is thrown into a den of lions. Another who is swallowed by a great fish. God wants to burst into our lives in living color. That's how relentless he is for us. That's how relentless he was for his people and how, he can, how relentless he continues to be. He does it not just in words, but in full color. And each of these prophets served to point to the one prophet who illustrates all of them, Jesus Christ. Each of these prophets we will see will direct us to the prophet who commands all of creation, life and death, who was stripped, beaten, imprisoned, and crucified to buy back an adulterous, perpetually adulterous woman, me and you risen to secure her. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, creation. He is the radiance of glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. So relentless is our Father to give rest to our hearts that he bursts into our lives of comfort and conflict and confusion and chaos and in full color tells us the story on the cross. 
He sacrificed his one and only son to tell us again the story. You're created for me. You walked away. You took the forbidden fruit. You believed the lie. You're in shame. But I have provided a way to buy you back. The cross says, listen to the story again. And I close with this. David Redding. There is no other blessing I can give you, no great gifts so precious, no treasures so refreshing, nothing that can provision you for the journey we are all making than to tell you that someone is searching diligently for you. He is not a stationary God. He's crazy about you. The extent to which he has gone isn't reasonable, is it? The cross was not a very dignified ransom. To say the least, it was a splurge of love and glory lavishly spent on you and me while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. That story is enough to make me laugh and cry. Tell me the story again. Oh, Father, start with an infant world on a perfect day. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. So let's sing that again. Let's surrender as best we know how. Again, let's just tell the Lord how we want to give all to him. Singing you this song. Sharing. 